All right, everyone. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I think we're, I think we're working. Um, I'm your co-host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad man pajama, Kerry Smith. Hold on, hold on. Speak, speak to us. Yeah, my microphone is working again. Computer audio. Hold on, hold on. All right. she'll get it working. She'll come back after all that. Um, by the way, was the was the intro backwards? Because it was backwards on my screen. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why today it looked backwards on my screen, but it's not normally. Uh, uh, yes, Carrie. Carrie is is in costume and will return. It's kind of like a pussy hat, but it's like a I called it a menstrual pussy hat, but I don't think she liked that analogy. But it's like a maroon pussy hat. Um, I am wearing my grumpy, uh, non-fun person Halloween costume, which is nothing. Just I'm wearing black because, as Carrie says, I'm just not. I'm just not fun. No, not into fun. All right, let's see if she's back here. Hold on. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, are you so? Wait, you're dressed up as a sea cucumber. What other costumes do we have? I wish you guys could show pictures in chat. Is that a thing I can enable? I don't know if I can enable that. Carrie's uh, back. Hold on here. Can you hear me now? We can. We Yay! Can the microphone's working. So I see you're a social justice warrior today. Yeah, I like I said, I couldn't find my. It works better when you have those SJW glass, the horn rim glasses, but I, I I couldn't find my fake glasses. All I could find was these sunglasses, which don't really do it. The fake glasses are probably in the garage, but this is, this is from a couple years ago when I did the SJW Halloween costume, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> I was just telling people that I thought your pussy hat was a menstrual pussy hat, but, but you say well, this hat predated the whole pussy hat thing. I've had this for years. And then when they did the put the pussy hat, they made it hot pink and everything. And now I wear this and I've mistaken for one of them. So <laughs> I don't wear it that much anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's a different color. Well, uh, as I told people on chat, uh, I'm the boring one of the two of us. I don't, I don't do a lot for, for Halloween. <laughs> so well, I figured we're doing an SJ, a spooky SJW lexicon episode. Should dress well, like. Well, you know, uh, I'm white. I'm <laughs> this. I can't, I can't say I'm Christian because that would be scarier. But I was raised Christian. Is that scary? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think you're probably, yeah, you're the most <laughs> terrifying vision possible. Yeah. That's hey, why I, started wearing, I don't know if people know this. I hate ties, but the reason that I started wearing ties, which you can't see now because everything's black, but uh, the reason I wear ties for this show and the reason I started wearing ties was uh, I thought it would be funny because I felt like nothing scared the left more than a white guy in a tie. So, and this is why they're not all the way done up because I can't stand ties. So I, like, I put it on. It's kind of a half-hearted, like, here's my tie to scare you, but I'm not really that into <laughs> I'm not really that into it. <laughs> They look good on you, though. I like I like ties on men. Um, you know, I uh, I've, I feel better. I, this is going to sound totally lame, but since I started wearing like a shirt and tie every day for the show, I I think I'm 
like I just feel better about myself. <laughs> I feel like I got to pick up my daughter at school and I look like Mr. Rogers. I've got like a sweater. Look, it affects the way you feel. Like we've gotten so casual in the way that we dress, which is cool. I love dressing casually. Don't get me wrong. But I also like dressing up. I, You know, I wear hats and I wear boots all the time. And I wear I wear a lot of dresses. I didn't used to dress that way. And, and, and it makes you feel, it's just like when they say like, uh, fake it till you make it. If you practice something, if you practice it, uh, the attitude will change or it, it can affect your mood or just like in, in church a couple weeks ago, he, in the sermon, they were talking about, uh, um, don't wait until you feel generous to give. It's talking about donating money. It's like, just start mm-hmm. donating money and your heart will follow. Well, the same thing about clothing, it can affect the way that you carry yourself and your confidence in the world. And um, I think there's a time to dress like a slob and then there are times to dress up. I'm such an old, see, here's how I'm conservative personally is now that I've become a kind of recent, like a new Christian, but I see, I went to church when I was a little kid. Well, things have changed. So when I went back home to South Carolina and went to my grandparents' church that I remember from when I was a kid, everybody's wearing like t-shirts and flip-flops. Now I understand again, Jesus doesn't judge you based on what you're wearing, but I'm sort of like a, Very does. I know I'm like an old lady, like show some <laughs> respect, put on, a, <laughs> put on a dress. <laughs> like, What other reason do you have to get dressed? Like get, you know, take those opportunities where you get them. But no, like I'm learning- I, know to, I know we're supposed to get into spooky stuff. Yeah. But you're reminding me of something that, um, someone once told me, which I don't, I don't want to take all the, the romance and uh, l- lust and all the fun things out of marriage because uh, they're all still there. But someone once told me about love that um, love is a choice. And that really bothered me at the time a lot because I was like, no, you can't just choose to love someone. You know, uh, I don't know. I was 18 or something like that. Right. Uh, and you know, 18 raging hormones. I was probably writing poetry at the time. <laughs> so I was very, very angry at the idea that love was a choice. But, um, as, as an older person now married, I, love is all those other things, but part of being married and part of loving sometimes does involve like actively being like, okay, I don't feel like being nice right now, or I don't feel like taking care of this other person. I'm in a grumpy mood or I'm had a bad day or whatever it is and it's choosing to do the things because you've chosen to be in a loving relationship with this person and be in a supportive relationship and doing those things there is a psychosomatic effect like sometimes doing things makes you feel the way that you want to feel that's why even tony robbins talks about smiling and jumping up and down when you're not feeling happy because forcing yourself to smile and jump up and down like gets you energized and makes you feel a little bit happier um, so it's totally true. It's why they tell people with depression, Hey, get out of bed and take a shower, even though you don't want to, because you go through the motions and then sometimes your mood and your heart follow. I don't know how we start talking with this, but I find it interesting. Yeah. Uh, I want to point out something quickly before we get into the serious subject at hand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> such a, today is such a mess. You guys have it's no idea how mess. messy today is. Today's all Halloween. Halloween, dude. Uh, <laughs> Maria Tuscan is in the chat and I'm sure there are some other knitters look at this ugly crocheted <laughs> rainbow, rainbow rainbow scarf that I tried to make with no pattern when back when I was a remedial it kind of you kind of, it kind of worked it kind of worked yeah but 
Um, but uh, actually, I'm glad Maria is in the chat because Maria, I owe you an email, and I'm just gonna, I'll just kind of respond cryptically. Uh, I'm not disappointed in you, Maria. Yes, I wanted you to go to the yarn revolution, but I totally understand why you would not go when they say they're gonna kick you out and cause a stink. Like that's totally cool. We love you, Maria. And everyone needs to go join Maria. I'm gonna tell. Hold on, I'm just gonna read your email. She's Marita is meeting meeting people at Cafe Fior in Ballard, Seattle, on Sunday, November 10th, from one to four. So, if you want to go, uh, also, I'll, there's a Facebook link too I can post. But if you want to go, um, you know, contact Maria and go support her because she can't go to the Yarn Revolution. She's banned. That's how <laughs> evil she is. Cause she's so scary. You're <laughs> an evil person. Uh, they, they've got her banned. Uh, so speaking anyway, of scary speaking of scary, should we get so we didn't know what to do for halloween <laughs> um i'm not super into halloween carrie is much more fun than into halloween but uh i thought maybe there's a lot of terms so we have a lot of new listeners and oh, by the way actually i know i'm scatterbrained today carrie because i'm a little bit under the weather i'm sorry but Someone asked us on Twitter to point someone to point people to a video that was a great overview of social justice. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like we talk about it so much. I don't know where the overview video is. Maybe we need, we need to make an overview video. But um, one thing that I thought is a lot of a lot of normies. I don't mean that term derogatorily. I just mean, you know, people who don't spend all day thinking about this crap. Talking about um, it. <laughs> right. A lot of normies. Um, a lot of times you hear language and it's it's maybe a stretch to stay it say it's scary but it definitely is designed to trigger you emotionally and produce a particular response um and actually carrie as i was thinking about this i was thinking about the the jonathan Haidt moral um the 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 six categories of um like Six degrees six, of morality. Six kinds of morality, yeah. Right? That have kind of evolved humanly. And and a lot of them actually, I was a lot of them I think are designed, a lot of these terms are designed to trigger one of those in, in, in particular, to, to trigger a sense of like unfairness, right? Or something like that. Um, and uh, so what we thought would be good is we would take some of these terms that are common and that might be a little bit scary or make you... Uh, hesitant to stand up to someone who's spouting social justice ideology and kind of unpack them a little bit for you today and make them less scary. So I've been, I started writing an SJW lexicon a while ago and then I put it down and I haven't picked it up again until we did SJW bingo. And that gave us the opportunity to have two different pages of bingo full of these magic, what we call their magic words. So I think this also doubles as a great episode. Like this could be the definitive SJW lexicon video as well. If we have time, there's a lot of SJW magic words. I do want to do, I really do want to do an SJW lexicon on the website. Um, yeah. Probably not a wiki because I don't want SJWs to bombard it and change it. <laughs> but, um, but I would like to do that at some point as soon as we have... Uh, we have the time. So with Halloween, I think the first thing we should go through, the first term that I want to bring up, Carrie, is one that you see this meme going around. Now, this meme, I let's I, we need to be clear about this. This meme is this is not 
actually true. So uh, it's this is not a um, this is not anything to actually get concerned about. But this is a ridiculous version of the meme. But you've seen variants of this, like people having signs on their property. No candy for bigoted children. Now, someone made this one. This is even funnier. Ultimate Frisbee. I just think that's funny that that's offensive. Um, but, you know, they have these costumes and and say, you know, you can't you can't do these things. Uh, you can't you can't uh, culturally appropriate or be offensive. And those of us with, with kids know that even though that particular meme that's going around, there are not people putting signs. I'm actually, maybe here in San Francisco area. There are people doing that, but normal people don't put signs like that and deny kids candy because their, their costumes are quote bigoted. But they are, um, you know, those of us with kids do know that there is a lot of talk about cultural appropriation. Uh, I think I mentioned this last year for one of our episodes. Um, there was uh, at my daughter's school at the time, there was uh, a lot of talk about not not being she wanted to be an Egyptian princess. And that was cultural appropriation. Um, because apparently so many people dress like Cleopatra in Egypt currently that they would be offended that a small child in the Bay Area dressed like an ancient Egyptian. I'm going to butt in here and say, if you guys aren't familiar with the Yale controversy, this is one of the first things that started to wake me up to there being problems with my little echo chamber, my ideology. Um, So at Yale a few years ago, there was a huge uproar because uh, I, someone at the university, maybe it was a school paper, had posted, you know, or, or no, no, it was the administration. The officials had sent out this thing about how to be culturally respectful and not a culturally appropriate. And here it was like a list of guidelines on costumes you should and shouldn't wear. And one of the uh, professors there, there was a couple, um, Nicholas, do you remember his name? Christakis? Uh, yes, I, I know. And I, his wife. I think that's it. But I think his wife was Elizabeth. Somebody in the chat, correct me. But anyway, his wife wrote a, a really great essay, kind of saying, you know, it was it was a, it was sort of touching on these ideas of college students being so fragile and so coddled, and that the administration really shouldn't be telling people how to dress and how not to dress. And that's how you that's how you figure things out is to sometimes make mistakes and to also think through these things on your own, and also to have a sense of humor. And she wrote a really great essay. And what happened in response? The student body, the SJWs, like rose up and harassed and hounded her and her husband until they both resigned. And there's video online of these completely elite, like the most elite of the elite. You know, these kids are going to Yale in the richest country on earth. They're like, huh. they're the most elite of the elite. And, Supreme Court justices are, yeah. Yeah. And they're surrounding her husband as he's trying to dialogue with them. And just shouting him down and screaming like viscerally, like animalistic screaming at him about uh, how he's oppressing them and he's not protecting them. And and watching those videos was one. There's been several things that were on my path to leaving that ideology behind, but that was one of them. That's like the mob mentality that's hap- that you see happening online, whether it's in the knitting community or elsewhere. That's that mo- mob mentality in real life. You can see it, and it just like it's shocking. So yeah. anyway, that just because it relates to this, and that was one of the big Halloween cultural appropriation scandals that comes to mind for me. Yeah, that was that was a huge one. Um, but it's something that you hear. And so I wanted, I wanted to unpack it. I think that, first of all, I mean, Carrie, I, want, I obviously want to hear your thoughts. I'm, just, I'm not just going to go through these, but uh, and I'm sure you've got ones that are your pets. But 
Uh, the, look, the word appropriate is designed to make you feel like you're being unfair. Um, what they, the, the definitions, so there's multiple definitions for appropriate, but the ones that, that, that are implied here are to take to or for oneself, to take possession of, to take without permission or consent, to steal, especially to commit petty theft. So the idea is you are stealing something and that kind of triggers this sense of like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be appropriating. That's, that's a bad thing. I'm appropriating. Um, now I think they use the word appropriation instead of theft because they need to conceal a little bit. If they said theft, it would be too outright, obviously not true. So they use the word appropriate, which has theft connotations, but you don't recognize immediately as, as being accused of being a thief. And then why do they add the word cultural? Well, because you're actually not appropriating anything, right? You didn't steal anything from anyone. So they can't just say you're stealing or you're appropriating. They have to say you're culturally appropriating. Okay. What does that mean? Well, throughout history, cultures learn from each other, either through conquering or getting conquered or trading or living in proximity, which I guess is usually trading, intermarrying, uh, forming alliances, cultures learn from each other. And cultures adopt practices, technology, words from other cultures, as, and all cultures do this. Um, but notice something. Cultural appropriation is only used against one group, and it's, and it's never used to protect that same group. That group is white. White people are not, there's never any cultural appropriation of white, white stuff. It's always, and, and I say white, I'll mean Western. There's never any Western cultural appropriation. It's, it's only Westerners appropriating non-Western cultures. That's the language. And so what they really mean by this is we want to shut down your, you're not allowed to basically mix with, you're not allowed to have any interaction, say anything, have a voice, have any opinion about, or even, even learn from other cultures, but we're allowed to learn from you. Um, and this idea that you're stealing something obviously is just false. The cultures didn't steal stuff. There's no, there's no theft going on. I don't care. What's your thought on a cultural appropriation? Cause that's my first thought. Well, there's a reason they they will uh, they will tell you there's a reason why you can't culturally appropriate from white people and it's the same reason they tell you i mean i think if you guys have watched this channel long enough you know what the reason is because you're a, you're in a group that has power you are an oppressor therefore none of these rules apply to you so that's their little out for everything that's how they justify um being hypocrites towards people based on race and sex that's how they justify treating people differently on the basis of race and sex is because they say it's okay to treat people differently on the basis of race and sex because of this whole idea that they have about group power and group oppression. And so that's why they say it. Um, my personal opinions on it are when I was an SJW, yes, I cared because I was supposed to. And I thought, you know, I thought it, Oh, it must be horribly offensive to dress in a certain way or whatever. And I, but, but now the further you get out of it, the more it's like, that's such BS because you're right. It's it, they apply it in one direction and not in another direction. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with like your daughter admiring Cleopatra and wanting to dress as her for Halloween. Or I even saw an article once all about how 
when white women shouldn't wear toe rings because that's culturally appropriating from Indian women. And I'm like, screw you. I'll wear whatever I want. I'm going to go buy a sari right now because of this article. You know what I mean? Like, right. you don't tell me what I can wear. Give me a break. And and when I do wear stuff from other cultures, it's because I appreciate those things. And, and by the way, when you're in those cultures several times, they appreciate when you take notice. When I lived in Tanzania, they wanted you to dress like the women there. It was offensive to see you running around in shorts and showing your legs. They wanted you to wear the wraps. It was like, that was... that. All of these woke white, mostly white SJWs in America, I really feel like a lot of them have never been out of the country to even I as well. I, I, I can't justify that, but I get that sense. Yeah, I think that they're so sheltered. They have no idea of what people like a lot of times I listen to their so-called arguments, but it's really just their tenants that they repeat. And then I try to imagine what a friend of mine in Tanzania would think about that. It's like they feel like, what are you talking about? Like it just they don't. They don't, I think they're really sheltered. I think they're very privileged and sheltered. And that's why they, that's why this whole idea of privilege and stuff appeals to them so much because they feel strangely guilty and, and privileged about all the excess time they have on their hands, maybe about the fact that they're at Yale, maybe about the fact yeah. that they're living in the 1% of the 1%. And that's, this is an elite person's hobby and pastime, this ideology. I think a lot of the, frankly, I think a lot of the leftists, a lot of those particular leftists should spend time in countries in which they're a racial minority. Like I spent a lot of time in Japan and it became very obvious that like, it's not, it's not white advantage, it's majority advantage. <laughs> like if you're in a country in which you are not the majority, um, it's you get treated very differently. And one thing I appreciated about the US, frankly, was in Japan is completely acceptable to discriminate based on race. And it's not considered wrong. It's even legal. So I remember, I think I've told this story before, but I remember walking home, walking home back to where I was staying uh, one evening. And I was like, oh, I want to like stop into an authentic bar. Like not, you know, I wouldn't, I was kind of near Rapungi at the time, which is like lots of tourists and and people from not japan uh i'm like i want you know in some side street i'm like i want to like go to an actual real bar and i remember walking into the bar it was open i opened the door I, and it was like a movie it was like a scene from a movie all the talking stopped everyone's heads like craned around to look at me at the door and the bartender goes closed <laughs> i was like all righty I left. It was because, and, you know, and I asked people about it later and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're not allowed. White people aren't allowed in that bar. Um, <laughs> Gaijin, which is a derogatory term, aren't allowed in that bar. But this is, you know, one thing that's great about America is we frown on that kind of behavior. We don't, you can't do that. You can't do that and have, and get away with it in the US. That's not, that's not okay. But you can in a lot of other places. So if people want to see real racism, if these people want to like actually experience racism and see actual racism, go to a country where racism is completely okay. Or go to Yale, where I guess racism is also okay. Um, in the chat, Low Res Boy says, this reminds me of the young lady who dressed with a Chinese dress at prom and all the busybodies were offended yeah. while the Chinese people were saying, hey, looking good. I remember that was another one of the big cultural appropriation controversies too, is again, it was all these woke scolds as, as I think it was Jason in the chat called them. The woke scolds were really offended, but uh, most Chinese people I saw were like, 
what's we like that she's wearing a Chinese style dress. Like that's cool. Um, what's yeah. the big deal? It's it's just this is a made up thing to make you feel like you're doing something bad when you're not. So, I mean, and I've seen it referred to. I mean, any manner of that. You know, SJWs get paid to write these stupid opinion pieces. And can, they think of themselves as journalists. They write these pieces of like, you know, don't wear toe rings, white ladies. There was one headline I saw that was like, white girls, quit wearing name necklaces, like a necklace with your name on it. It's like, that's Why? culturally appropriating from Latino women. <laughs> what? <laughs> and like, they invented their names. Yeah, they invented the name necklace. No, they did. I mean, it doesn't, who cares? <laughs> you know, my, you know um, I remember the the Chinese dress thing and my wife is Chinese. And I remember she she looked at it and she was confused at first. Like, she's like, why are people upset? And I didn't, I, I got the sense from her that her attitude was like, what's wrong with China? Like, <laughs> why, is, why is she not allowed to wear, what's wrong with my country? Why is she not allowed to wear dresses from my, <laughs> like, almost as if like, they were mad because there's something wrong with China and she shouldn't be wearing Chinese dresses. <laughs> um, but certainly not, <laughs> she was very confused about it. And of course, yeah, she and all of her friends were like, "Oh, yeah, that's great. She looks good well, in the Chinese dress." Yeah, and again, th th there's a there's a function to a lot of these words. So the function of of cultural appropriation and making you afraid of it is again to keep us in these little groups. It's to promote tribalism. It's to promote racism. It's to promote us not so so. We used to talk about America as the great melting pot, right? And liberals used to talk about, we used to talk about as the great melting pot. And the idea being that you have all these different cultures that come together with this multicultural society because we have shared underlying values of, you know, individual responsibility and personal liberty and equality and freedom. And those things unite us and we are united as a nation, but we are multiracial, multicultural, and it's this melting pot where we borrow from each other. Well, SJWs don't like that. SJWs have, have taken over the left to such a degree that now instead of saying melting pot, they view it more like a salad, which we've talked about before. They want all these distinct little parts of the salad. You know, there's the tomatoes over here and then there's the cucumbers over here, but it's not a soup that you're mixing together. It's like, you keep it all separate, right? Like <laughs> you're not gonna, don't you borrow anything from that culture? I'm like, that is so stupid. That's how you make friends. That's how you, uh, like you said, that's how you, you trading and whether it's trading physical goods or um, activities or crafts or yeah, style, so music. Yeah. That it all influences each it's each other. It's like how can you imagine how all the different kinds of music that we, just take music. Imagine all the different kinds of music that we would be denied if we tried to say you stay in your culture and you stay in yours and none of these things can come together. Well, you know, country music wouldn't exist, right? Like <laughs> there are things rock that and would, roll rock and exist. roll wouldn't exist. Right. You had to have this melding of like Irish folk music, the blues. You know, like take this stuff, put it together, and and then you get like these really beautiful results. And so they don't SJWs don't like this. They want us to be divided. And so this is one way that they try to ensure division is by making you afraid to touch anything that's not. Oh, I don't look it up and see if it's a part of my culture or not. So. Right. And and so you know what, Carrie, this this is related to something I, I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day online. Um, I. Culture is a weird word because there's there's two aspects. There's I, I, I view culture as in there's kind of two different components to culture. One are morally irrelevant things like food, 
clothing, music, those are aesthetics, right? They don't matter. Even some traditions, like that doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Some aspects of coach, culture are very, very relevant morally. So we live in a, we all, most of us grew up in a society in which we take for granted ideas like freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, individual rights, private property, um, the, the uh, innocence, innocence until proven guilty. Those are part of the American culture. And the only way a country like that can survive, the only way a culture like that can survive is when you have people from other cultures come in, those attributes need to be, they need to assimilate on that level. They don't need to assimilate on any other level. They can keep their food and every other um, aesthetic thing that they want. And that's, that's what creates some of the rich tapestry that you're talking about where, you know, you can get really good Indian food in Fremont, California, because there's a lot of people that came from India that can cook really good Indian food. Like you can get a lot of that, that rich aesthetic value, but you can't have, you can't have competing moral, like fundamental competing moral ideologies and survive as a country. And that's why the melt, I think that's why the melting pot idea um, really made a lot of sense because people would come in to America and there was, there was no safety net. So you would sink or swim based on your own merit. And to do that, you would have to be able to likely uh, speak English and interact with other people and adopt certain aspects of the culture because that's how you would make money and feed your family. Um, and, and you're expected to adopt the moral, at least the, the fundamental moral tenets of the culture. Maybe you could keep your religion, but you need, you, it needs to be, your religion may need to be tailored to, hey, personal property, individual rights, like classical, classic, what I'll call classical liberal democracy, values of liberal democracy. And what we're seeing now is um, we're, we're seeing the left say they don't have to adopt that either. Like there, there should be the, the majority culture, the dominant culture is irrelevant. So this is about eradicating Western culture they even say there's no such thing as Western culture. This is about eradicating Western culture. Um, and when you do that, you will eradicate all those things that we take for granted. And you'll end up with competing ideologies who don't believe in freedom of expression, freedom of religion, all that kind of stuff, competing for power through the vote. Um, that's where we're headed. I, don't, I know that's an aside, but... So... That's a great aside. I'm wondering, because we're already half an hour in, and I know we spend a lot of time on cultural appropriation because it is so central to Halloween. Yes. But I'm wondering if we can just do a quick hit on a couple of these. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Magic uh, words. That's okay. Do what do you think is next? What's the next? Well, part? I'm going to share my screen. Okay. So we can just bang a few of these out because a lot of these have the same purpose. So this is SJW Bingo, the first page. Um, and we've done individual episodes on some of these before. You could do a whole episode on each of these. And like we almost, we could do one on cultural preparation. But just to briefly touch on a lot of these um, and, and feel free to butt in. White fragility, first of all, is racist because it's, they're, they're trying to assign something to you because of race. Um, so don't let them get away with that when they use it. But they're trying to make that, this is one of their circular argument magic words. So any, um, 
they use this when they want to to basically say that any reaction you have is bad and proof of your own guilt. <laughs> so if as long as it as long as it's not bowing down and agreeing with them, then it's white fragility. So you'll notice that they all of these terms they they have. Well, no, this is what it specifically means, but that's not how they use it. They use it just to be like, oh, you're a white person saying something I don't like or or not agreeing with me. I can use white fragility against you. Uh, same thing with white privilege down here. If you don't agree, that's your privilege speaking. I've had so many people, SJWs, former friends of mine, as I started to wake up and leave the ideology, um, you eventually hit that that wall with them, usually sooner than later. It's one of the first things they'll throw out at you. If you don't agree, therefore, it's your privilege, your white privilege, your male privilege, et cetera. Uh, we've talked about uh, uh, white tears is the same thing. If you If you express emotion, then and you're white, then they get to say white tears. Again, that's another racist term. Um, emotional labor. So th there's, a, there's a number of these words that they use to, almost all of these magic words are designed, by the way, to prevent you from having actual discussion with them. And right. so, yeah, so if they can throw out one of these magic words, they feel like it's like throwing down an ace in the hole, like boom, done, like we're done here. And <laughs> you're like, no, no, like that's not how words work. And I actually expect you to defend your arguments. So you know what, what's interesting, interesting about that okay. one to me is labor is something that you pay for, right? So if like you're oh, they want to be paid. Well, yeah, but I mean, they, they're saying like you're asking me to perform emotional labor, and the implication is like you're asking me to give you something for free. But they can't just say you're asking me to perform labor because that's measurable. Emotional labor is completely immeasurable in any objective sense. So it's like there's no rules about how much labor you're asking them to perform, right? If you said, hey, can you write an essay describing this thing? That would actually be measurable. That's measurable labor. And, and, and you know, obviously it's ridiculous to say, I'll pay you five bucks to argue with me. Please <laughs> paragraph. But- but at least it's measurable. But they add, they tack on the word emotional labor, and it makes it completely immeasurable, which makes them able to say the price is too high, no matter like. But you should know they get paid for it. There are professional yeah, SJWs who say, but right, but they're like, here's my Patreon or whatever. Pay me for my emotional labor. Even that woman at Duke that we did that episode on, she was like, pay me for my emotional labor. Um, so emotional labor is very similar to it's not my job to educate you. Uh, right. Both of these are things that they will throw out when you ask them to explain or back up something they've said. So the, they have an opinion. They say they spout some SJW opinion. I blah blah blah. You are this, or you, what you're saying is this. And you say, well, why do you think that? Or can you explain your reasoning behind that? They will say, it's not my job to educate you. They will say, uh, I'm not going to do unpaid emotional labor. <laughs> Right. They will say it's oppressive to ask me to do emotional labor because I check off one of these hundred marginalized categories. Anyone? You know, can, can I just point something out? This is where this is dishonest, Carrie. Mm -hmm. um, if you enter into a discussion with someone, then you have, and then and then you end it by saying, "Well, it's not my job to educate you, so I'm done. I made my like I said my thing, but I don't have to argue." Um, you kind of made it your job to educate when you opened your freaking mouth and decided to argue. Like that's the the way that interactions work in society is if it's not your job to educate me, then just let me spout my nonsense. Let me be wrong and shut up. 
But when you jump in to argue with me, you've made it your job to educate me. You just made it your job. That's what you just did. You just said, I have the authority to educate you. Okay, do it, right? It's it's not, Yeah. It, it's dishonest. And it's, it's dishonest. dishonest. And it claims, it claims an unearned, what you're saying or what I think I hear you saying, it, it, they are claiming an unearned high ground, an intellectual moral high ground. Where, unearned authority. Unearned authority, as if, as if they even have the ability or to educate you or the knowledge to educate but you. But they can't. Yeah, and they can't. They, it, it's like, well, if you can educate me, prove it. Well, it's not my job to do so. I don't get paid to do so. I don't get paid to do emotionally. <laughs> so there's a couple of those that are, they're all designed for the same thing, which is specifically, that's a thing they will say not to back up their argument. When you, if you do find yourself engaging with SJWs online, which I do, it's, it's always great just to point out what they're doing because uh, other people are watching and just say, yes, I was expecting that. You might, you know, if they say it's not my job to educate you, say, yes, I was expecting that. I might also take emotional labor as an answer, Alex. <laughs> like right just gotta yeah. make it i would also accept emotional labor <laughs> but uh but but it, once you start to see how these words are used and always always with the intent to stop actual discussion and dialogue I, that's that's what the magic words are for um somebody in the chat i want to say real quick I, I i forgot about these these are not on here somebody says mind your beckys where was that oh, oh that. What does mind your Beckys mean? Okay, Becky is a is a derogatory word for white women. And so okay. when you when they say mind your Beckys, it's like when they say, come get your people, white, white women, come get your people. Or they'll say, hey, men, male allies, come get your come get your uh people. Come get your people and mind your Beckys is a like oh, um, I, I wow. It's a plea That's for great. it's racist, it's sexist, whoever does it. I have a, a former professional SJW friend who's a white woman, but she used to do it to men. So if there were men arguing with her, then she would say, you know, hey, male allies, come get your boys. And what that means is I am going to now use my supposed status as a marginalized person, as a woman in this case, to now guilt trip the male allies and force them. It's a, it's a manipulative tactic. It's like right. you come in right. here and you fight these men for me. Because I'm marginalized. Yeah, and it's it's so gross. It's like sending, it's like you come in here and do this for me, prove that you should be in my gang. You know, <laughs> I, you know Carrie, I know we want to do a show on <laughs> how debating has has totally fallen apart, but imagine some imagine some of this stuff in like a, a more formal traditional debate setting where like, okay, Carrie's gonna take the pro, blah, 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 blah. Carter takes the con, blah, 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 blah. Carrie challenges him and Carter says. Well, it's not my job to educate you. Who wins that debate? Nobody wins. <laughs> well, Carrie wins the debate. If yeah. I walk up stage and say, it's not my job to educate you, well, then then you've lost. That's that's called losing the argument. Is, that's that what that's just, called. But again, they don't believe in truth or rationality or even yeah. they don't even believe in logic. So for them, it's <laughs> right. just, so I heard Jordan Peterson discuss this once in it, and I really... I loved the way he put this and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So I'll get some of this wrong, but he basically was saying the point of a good conversation is a, a good conversation. He said, like most of the time when we're talking to people or to each other, we're not having good conversations, but a good conversation is when a little part of you dies 
because you have to be, and you have to be willing for a little part of you to die. Meaning you in that conversation um, with the intent of understanding the other person better and with the intent of helping them understand you better. Why else engage in conversation unless it's not to, if you're not there to understand each other better and to reach some greater understanding, it might be because you're there like an SJW just to prove dominance, to bully people, to prove that you're right. I mean, and even you don't have to be an SJW to fall into that trap all the time of like using conversation just as a way to, to feel like I'm right about something, you know, that's a human thing. We get stubborn, you know, but I'll I'll do do that sometimes. I think we did it today on Kefefe. <laughs> that hasn't come out yet, so you guys can be the judge when it comes. <laughs> oh, sorry, my um, doggy. You know, to do that though, to have that kind of a conversation, Carrie, you have to. Um, I think you have to have the mindset that I've talked about before, which is you have to be married to the method and not to the conclusions, right? You have to be like, okay, I I will fall. I'll just speak for myself. I will follow wherever reason and evidence take me. That's my goal. So if I if so a little piece of myself dying as as jordan poetically puts it isn't that threatening because i'm not i'm not married to the idea that i'm right about everything i'm i'm married to the idea that i'm going to use reason and evidence to the best of my ability to draw conclusions and if you help me do that by pointing out a flaw or giving me more information than i didn't have before then I win at the end of the day. I actually don't view it as a piece of myself dying. I view it as like an, a piece of myself comes to life. Like there's a new, great, I've expanded my myself in, in a really valuable, meaningful way. Well, maybe it's both. It's like a little piece of what you believed or piece died. And then this, when something dies, then there's room for re, regrowth or rebirth, rebirth of some kind. So. Yeah, I guess I guess my point is like I don't uh, the reason I don't view it as a piece of myself dying is because I don't I'm not wed to that as being part of my identity, right? My identity isn't the thing I believed; it's the process. So it's it's okay right. if I have to slough off a little bit of the process or a little bit of the identity. Um, Maria so, brings up like do the work, Carrie. That's similar uh, to what you're saying. Yeah, do the work is also just like fall in line and do what we say. I mean, you even saw, let's take the knitting thing as an example. Once the SJW instigators came in and started basically shaming everyone. And then over a period of days, people who at the beginning were like, what's going on? Then became automata- became zombies and were like, I'm following along too. Once that happened, the conversion started happening. Then there was this whole um, thing about like, uh, read these books, you know, they, they have all, and, 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 the, and not that you shouldn't read those books. You should, you should know what they are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've, we've read parts of those books on this program. And, um, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, let me put it this way. I think it's very fair to say that a book like Robin DeAngelo's white fragility is a bunch of horse crap. If you hold it up to something like Jonathan Heights, the righteous mind, <laughs> <laughs> which right. is yes i mean it's hard to compare the two and you know what read their books and so you can talk about them and then try and get them to read other books that are not on their recommend do the work list right um try to get them to read the righteous mind that's what woke mattress girl up apparently yeah so. yeah 
I the other thing to remember though is that when they're having these conversations, especially in public with you guys, and and I mean Instagram as public, uh, do the work. It, they're part of it is performative. Um, you know, they're they it implies that you're lazy and ignorant, and um, a better way to show that you're lazy and ignorant would be to actually engage you in conversation and prove you incorrect. But they're un they're not capable of doing that. They're incapable of doing that because you're not incorrect. And so all they can do is throw some shade at you so that other people go, oh, well, I guess Maria didn't do the work. I guess she's just ignorant and lazy. She didn't do the work to understand. Um, I guess she's got, she's white fragility. She's got white fragility. Um, right. Maria says, I did the work and disagreed with them. Well, if you disagreed, Maria, you didn't do the work. The work <laughs> See, is to agree. Yeah. When That's they the say work. do the work, it, it's, you think the work is to read. That's not the work. The work is not to read and form your own opinion. The work means they literally mean do what we say. <laughs> right. Don't disagree, fall in line, speak the same opinions, become part of the faceless mob, you know, and become, if depending on which of the boxes you check off, if you check off some of the uh, uh, privileged or oppressor box, what they call the oppressor boxes, well, then you have to come in when we say, go get your people. You have to come at our beck and call. <laughs> and, you know, that's why you get all these, um, some of the most insufferable SJWs are white SJWs. And I know you guys have seen that in the knitting wars um, because, because they've been told this is what they're supposed to do. And this is how they get a sense of, of morality and how they feel good about themselves is like, if you exist in this ideology, which tells you that you are, there's something wrong with you because of your race, right? But you can fix it by going in and attacking other people of your race. That's what, that's why they do. That's why they're so vicious. Um, same thing with the men. Oh my gosh, the worst, the worst that I know are white, straight white men, SJWs. They're some of the worst. <laughs> well, but, you, you know, something else that I just thought of here, um, do the work made me think about this. Uh, you know, we talk about SJWs always project. It's one of Vox Day's rules about SJWs. Um, I don't agree with him on everything, but he has some great SJW analysis. Um, I think, you know, in, in the spirit of being generous to a lot of the woke SJWs. So Carrie, maybe you'll appreciate this. I'm being, I'm being magnanimous in my evaluation of them. Uh, instead of, you know, assuming that they're always about uh, vicious hatred and nastiness and uh, <laughs> their childhood trauma being expressed in mean ways. Some of, sometimes that's true, of course. But look, people in general, we're lazy. And that's, you know, sometimes that's good. Like, that's why we invent remote control so we don't have to get up off the couch to change the channel on the TV. Like, people are... People are lazy. We're lazy. And that includes intellectually lazy. And social justice, the social justice mob, being part of the mob is a nice, lazy, easy thing to do. When they say do the work, they haven't done any work. Most of the people who would say do the work, maybe they read a couple of those things because they had to in college or whatever. But most of their work is looking around, seeing what the mob wants them to yell and yelling and feeling good about themselves and being done. The work, the real work is introspection. It's thinking deeply about this stuff. It's reading um, opposing arguments. 
It's it's oh, really- Oh, they don't read opposing arguments. Right. It's having the the, the fortitude to uh, to disagree with people in your social circle if that's uh, if that's the conclusion you draw to and debate. They they don't do the work themselves. And I think maybe a lot of this is just it's it's a nice easy intellectually lazy thing to do. Just to, you know, you pull up that bingo card, they've got like they basically just have to memorize what a couple yes. dozen phrases and That's, blurt them out at the right times. They, How lazy is that intellectually? It is so lazy. You're, you're correct. And I, uh, hold on, let me share it again. Uh, let's see if this works. Uh, this was the second page, but let me go back to the first page. Um, ah. Okay. Can you guys see this? So just a couple more on here that are kind of funny. Cause you might see these. Uh, sea lion, sea lion is a another version of troll, but it specifically means someone who is asking questions in good faith. <laughs> like, like if you ask them again, this is another way they shut you down. If, um, and they could say it's my job, it's not my job to educate you. They could say emotional labor, or they could just call you a sea lion. It's calling you a sea lion is them. It's an ad hominem attack. It's a way of saying that you don't really want to know the answer that you're just there to pester them, that you're just a troll, that you're just a sea lion and you don't, therefore they don't have to respond at all. Um, just, just making noises. <laughs> yeah. You're just there barking, making noises. Yeah. Um, no, and then, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's so beautiful from a, like a laziness perspective. Like, yeah, I don't have an argument. So therefore I'm going to categorize your argument as just making noises. Yeah. It's all of this is about being is about being lazy, memorizing some terms, and then pretending that you're an intellectual. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, some of these you guys are are familiar with. Stay in your lane is basically uh, you don't get to have an opinion because of your race or your sex or whatever it is. So that's a racist and sexist term. They use it about you know it. it you're not an individual who gets to have an opinion. You are your race or you are your sex. This is a sexist and racist belief system. Um, white feminism is another racist term that's developed. It goes hand in hand with Becky. Um, it has enough, Latinx is now they've, they've, they're now angry about that one. No, they're not. That article we talked about today. That's not from an SJW. Oh, that's but I from, thought the left was getting angry. I thought it was the, no, it's they're the not. the same person. Yeah. But the that's SJW true. left has not abandoned that yet at all. They use Latinx all the time. Um, this is this is one we've talked about before. Uh, uh, words are violence and silence is violence. They simultaneously say, will say, and believe both of these depending on what the discussion is about. So Still your in the knitting world. Carrie, by the way. Yeah, so when I went as an SJW a couple years ago for Halloween, my the back of my shirt said, your silence is violence or your words are violence. And my sign said, your silence is violence. So it was kind of funny to have both of them, but um, they, so in the knitting world, for example, they started going after people like Maria or pe other people who did people who didn't speak up. And by say you're by virtue of you not joining the mob, it, you didn't even have to speak up against it by virtue of you not participating at all. Therefore you're guilty. So they, your silence is violence and you will see, um, uh, they get specific. They'll, they, they'll have white silences, violence on a shirt or something. And Carter, you you said you've seen Asians, Asian silences, violence. Yeah. Berkeley's got signs now when they protest, this is Asian silence is violence. So, um, yeah, sorry, Asians, you will uh, be dragged down with the white people soon. 
Oh, they'll, they'll, they're going to eat you guys. So <laughs> um, words are violence. Of course, the reason they push that out there is because they want to feel justified in uh, stopping you from talking or from expressing your opinion at all, or from, in some cases, physically preventing you from speaking. Uh, if you're a public speaker, preventing you from speaking at a college or physically preventing other people from hearing you speak, they pretend that the very act of you having an opinion they don't like is violence. And the other reason they do it is because they want to be able to justify using actual violence, physical force against you. They want to pretend like it's self-defense because your words are violence. Therefore they can hit you, pepper spray you, throw things at you. Um, throw, you know, that's become pretty, that's kind of been ramped up in the past couple of years. Um, yeah. This is one that one of my friends pointed out and black and brown bodies. It's, for an ideology that claims not to be racist, they sure do uh, dehumanize black people a lot when the way they, the way that they talk about them, yes, black and brown bodies, is something very strange about that. And I haven't quite wrapped my head around that one yet. It's uh, well, uh, I think it's so. I I think it's intended as a like almost an implication that you're dehumanizing them when they say black and brown bodies it's an implication that they're viewed as only bodies from by the the white hegemony i don't i don't know um but i think it's i don't think it's them saying that they're black and brown bodies i think it's i think they're using the language because it's it's almost a they're pointing out that this is how they think you view black and brown people as bodies. Is right. Not? But the weird thing is you don't, it's like them. It's no, them. But they need to accuse you of that. Right. Yeah. So but they put it out way. there. It's like, they're the ones propagating that. And like somebody in the chat said, well, they have a way of dehumanizing all people, whether it's black and brown people or white people, they call uh, white people, white people. It's that they, there's, there's all these different, ways that they use to refer to white people that are just it's it's about making fun of right. people an entire group of people on the basis of what race they are right this thing about black and brown bodies i think is i think you're right i think i think that you are using it in that way to try and say that that's how the that's how this racist world that we're in views but it's like well who's using that language you no one are else uses it yeah <laughs> no one else you, you does that you do <laughs> <laughs> right so it's weird um you know, can I can I just touch on something uh, a while ago in the chat? I think it was Low Res Boy. He said, uh, "By the way, who was first in the chat?" So he gets he gets uh, congratulatory. He you win the prize for being the first in chat today. Um, I when I said lazy, he said, "You say lazy, I say efficient." It's the law of minimal effort. Um, and I, the reason I want to point that out is um, it may be viewed almost, uh, you could almost rationalize why it's lazy. It is efficient if you're in a peer group that doesn't require thought. It is an efficient strategy for keeping the mob uh, off your back and maintaining allegiances with the, the people that are around you in power just to learn the magic words and to say the magic words. I think unfortunately the antidote to this is thinking which means um maybe the maybe the way to really interact with some of these people 
Because obviously arguing them, look, I mean, you saw the bingo. They've got answers to everything. They're not good answers. They're horrible answers that would be failure in a debate, but they're answers. Um, it's magic words. It's like their puff of smoke, the Batman's right. puff of smoke. <laughs> so I, I think that's why a lot of times it's you need to just ask questions to get them thinking. Now, of course, you can still get shut down by emotional labor, blah, blah, blah. But if you've got someone who's close to you, maybe instead of arguing with them about all of this stuff, because it can be pretty overwhelming to understand how deeply racist and vile your ideology is that you've been spouting, maybe a better way is to just start asking questions and see if you can get them to articulate. And even if they don't in the moment uh, understand what's wrong, they may go off and start actually thinking about some of this stuff in ways that they haven't before. Um, that I just wanted to make that aside. So, um. yeah, I um, well, I I in the chat. Speaking of the SJW bingo, Alan Conrad said he got so much crap when he shared our bingo card on his Facebook page. I want to hear more about that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to hear that too. Oh my gosh, if people get well, we should have put triggered on there, but I bet people would get triggered because you know why? It just it exposes everything they're going to say ahead of time. And sometimes I've found this useful in talking with them. I'll just say, depending on how aggressive the person is, like I don't like to give what amounts to a digital spanking to everyone, but every once in a while someone deserves it. It's like, there's this one former professional should be friend of mine who, um, this is when we parted ways sort of, but I just, I was like, look, I know we got to a certain point where she threw out, oh, well, the reason you don't agree with me is because it's your privilege. And I'm like, okay, look, I can just pretty much tell you every other thing you're going to say in this conversation. And I just listed all of these words, the entire lexicon, you know, <laughs> and, and you, when you do that, it's like you take, you, you steal their magic from them because they're waiting to, to try and catch you and be like, ah, it's your white fragility. And it's I like, yeah, Lord, I've got my spell book. It's like, yeah, I got the same book. But but can we just have a conversation without using your spell words? So so I'm sure if it's the first time an SGW has seen someone who knows all the spell words and the spell words don't work on them and they are familiar with them though. And it because a lot of times then especially for the new ones, they they think the new, naive, well-intentioned ones, they think they've they've just been indoctrinated and and they think that you haven't been yet. And they get excited because they can be the say the SJW savior who brings you into the cult. So they're like, Oh, you know, this is your white fragility. You just haven't heard of white fragility yet. It's like, no, nah, I've heard of white fragility. So if you kind of dispel all that before they get a chance to <laughs> really like triggering to them. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Alan, we want to hear what happened. Totally. Yeah. Alan's, Alan's got to come back and chat and tell us. By the way, one other word that I wanted to, a phrase I wanted to, to mention to you, Carrie, was because um, I'm starting to hear this a lot and I hate it epistemologically. Uh, lived experience. So lived experience is used as a uh, counter to actual rational discussion. Like you can say two plus two is four and they can say, well, my lived experience is that it's five. Yeah. And, and it's like, all right. So I was wondering like why. So I like the, I like when they have two words together because you can understand like why they choose each word and why they go together. And so, um, so why is it? I was thinking like, why is it lived experience and not just experience? Why would you not say, well, in my experience, it's two plus two is five. Why is it lived experience? And the answer I came up with was um, 
experience is too objective. Imagine a conversation that was like, I experience racism. Really? How? I feel it. Well, that's not, that's not racism. You can't argue with it. Like, where's, where's the racism that you experienced or where's the hate or whatever it is. But if it's lived experience, it's just my interpretation of my experience. It's like, it's even less valid than experience. It's, I felt like that thing that happened to me meant blah, blah, blah. That's the argument. That's why it's lived. I think that's why it's lived experience. It's completely, even the word experience has a little bit of objective objectivity into it. You can see whether they experience something, but lived experience, you know, that's when I talked to Carrie, I felt like I was talking to a monster and that was eating me. Like, so I've been eaten by a monster. It's like, that's, that's my lived experience. So you guys are going, I don't know if anybody in the chat is planning on being in book club this month with us. November 17th, we're doing a live video discussion of The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. But uh, this isn't too much of a spoiler. It's just from the first chapter. Or it's, I actually I think it's from the introduction maybe. But um, he talks about how these there's three of these, these new myths that have arisen with this ideology. And one of these myths, and all three of these myths go against ancient wisdom. You know, so ancient wisdom wisdom used to be what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, this new ideology is like what ki- what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. They they believe in avoiding, uh, they believe in fragility. They believe in trigger warnings. They believe in avoiding any difference of opinion. They believe in shutting speakers down rather than hearing something that they might not agree with. And that that idea is not good for people. And they and they talk about how that's. Um, it actually runs counter to all psychological evidence, which which shows that, you know, if you have true PTSD, for example, which is a term they overuse, but if you have true PTSD, if you have true trauma, you don't get better by avoiding triggers. You get better by not avoiding those triggers, by not, you know, you, you, you get better by engaging with the okay. world instead of trying to hermit yourself off into this little shell of you know, protection. Um, but the other, oh, the other one I was thinking of, oh, what you're talking about, lived experience. So the other great untruth that they are pushing is that you should trust your emotions above anything else. Trust your lived experience, trust your emotions. And they're like, that also goes against common wisdom or it goes against it's all, all wisdom, which is like to trust reason above emotions your emotions lie to you. Your emotions, all cognitive behavior therapy is is about teaching you how to evaluate your emotions and not trust them <laughs> because they can be wrong. And I think we can all think back to even something in our recent history where our if we had trusted our emotions, we might have done something foolish because your emotions in the heat of the moment can be very misleading. So, yeah, I don't throw emotions totally under the bus. They can be valuable, but you got to yes. understand... They are, emotions are real information about you. That's what they're information about. They're not information about the external world. They're information about your internal state, which might be a result of reacting to things in the external world, but they're not, they're not, a, they're not a information about the external world at all. Um, and that's, you know, that's bad. That's just horrible epistemology. Like, it's true because I feel it. Well, that's, you know. Yeah, it's like saying, um, well, and the way in which they tell you, they tell you to trust your emotions, and then they also manipulate you 
to believe that everything is an insult and everything, because you've already bought into this framework, this, this ideological framework of everything is about what, what identity groups you're in and it's all about power and oppression and that's the best way to view. You've already bought into that crap. And so now they're teaching you to feel uh, negative emotions whenever anything happens and to immediately assume it's because of this framework that you have. It's because of your race. It's because of your sex. It's because of whatever. And so, you know, it's like if I get mad at something you say to me, Carter, and and I'm, I'm like, it's sexist. And you, I've taken great and you said it because I'm a woman. And that's the way I feel. And you're like, well, I didn't say that because you're a woman. I just said it because I think you're wrong. And here's why. And I'm like, yeah, but, but mine is it because you're a woman. I just want to be clear. What'd you say? I did say it because you're a woman. You're such a jerk. <laughs> so you're, you're, you, you, anyway, let's say. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> but the point is, it's like they teach you to, for, for me to automatically assume it's because I'm a woman and to take great offense and then to trust my emotions and to say, well, my lived experience is such that all of this happens to me because. I'm a woman. Well, hey, your loved experience based on your emotions might be wrong. <laughs> like it may right. not be accurate. You may not be, um, it may be best to calm down and think about things rationally later. <laughs> right. Right. I did just assume their gender. That's true. Uh, but Carrie has told me, uh, she told me she doesn't play the pronoun game. So I can assume any gender I would like with Carrie. I assume she's female, so. You can you assume go. any of the two. That... <laughs> Although today, Carrie, with your hair, maybe maybe you're a Zer. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you are a Zer today. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Lived experience is, uh, you know, it's just it's just emotion. Um, I don't know if there's any other any other terms. Um, I'm well, I know this is something you said in in advance that you wanted to touch on that we didn't yet. So I'll bring it up and then you can say what you want to say about it. I mean, the biggest things that they call you and the biggest way that they instill fear, because we're talking about how they scare people, is mm -hmm. uh, they attempt to own and wield the terms racism and sexism and all the other isms. Is, you know, they sure. they attempt to use those as weapons against people to shut people up and to make people afraid, which is um, which is really strange because they're the ones who believe in a racist and sexist ideology. And if you look at beliefs and actions versus just somebody saying in a word, um, it's like, well, you know, their beliefs and actions are racist and they're sexist and, and there's no way around that. Like they, they judge and treat people differently on the basis of sex and race. Like that's what their belief system tells them to do. And they may think they have a good reason why they're doing it, but that's what they do. They judge people differently. They treat them differently. They talk to them differently. There's a study that just came out that we talked about in Daily Coffee, which will be out later, but a study that just came out about how um, these researchers uh, examined, you know, the way that liberals talk to people versus the way that conservatives talk to people. And they came away shocked I like the part that they were surprised. They were surprised to find out that conservatives generally talk to white people and people of color the same way. Um, but liberals or people on the left, nowadays, people who think they're liberals, but they're really SJWs, people on the left talk to white people and people of color differently and that they actually dumb down their language because they're so condescending. They believe that they should dumb their language down for people of color. That's a really racist way to go around to, to, to interact in the world. 
not yeah. just to people of color, and, but to white people. It's just, yes. And the, and, the, and they, they condescend in the same way when they believe this whole stuff about like, you know, go, go get your people uh, or go, you know, allies have this responsibility to come in here and fight these fights because marginalized people, whether we're talking about women or people of color, you know, shouldn't have the emotional burden if it's too much work. No, treat everyone as an individual, treat them with the, the, it takes respect to, to say to someone, I disagree with you and not be, a, and not be afraid. See, SJWs are afraid of, they might disagree with you and say, but their ideology tells them, I can't say that because that's a person of color and they can't handle me disagreeing. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> of course they can. Or that's a woman. I can't possibly disagree with her. I'm a man. I've had men do that. I've had men apologize to me for mansplaining when I asked them to explain something to me. <laughs> so condescending. Well, I'll do some extra mansplaining to make up for it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look, I think the racism and sexism stuff, Carrie, um, it's almost in a different, those words are almost in a different category than things like cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation is a, like a sandwich of a couple words that have, um, you know, we, we talked about earlier, right? It has a certain connotation and blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to accuse you of things um, based on, uh, you know, a misunderstanding of how individuals act and, and work together and, and historically. Um, but racism and sexism are words. I mean, let's just talk about racism. Racism is, is a word that they know, you know, very well, and that you're very averse to. And all they've done is think of a word as a label for a concept like racism. It's just some syllables that sound like that. Right, that's what it is. It's it's a it's some phonetics that sound like racism, and it's just, and it's a it's a label that you have attached to a particular concept in your head, and that's a it's a concept that's bad that you avoid. You don't want to be racist, so you've attached that label to this concept in your head. All they've done is attached that label to a different concept. It's not that concept at all, and now they're shouting that label to you. And that shouting that label to you is, um, it's no different than shouting, it's a homophone. It's no different than shouting another, it's just, it's another definition. They're not, you feel like they're saying racist and it's triggering this response in you because like, oh, they're accusing me of, of this concept, of, of embodying this concept that I hold in my head. They're not, they're not. They're accusing you of something completely different than that concept. It's their own it's their own manufactured thing. So think of um, think of any think of any homophone. Uh, I don't know one that bugs grammar Nazis all the time is there t h e r e and there, right? So uh, let's say t h e r e and t h e y apostrophe r e, right? You see people sometimes mess those up, right? Um, well, those things aren't the same thing. So when one word, it sounds like the same thing, but they're two different concepts. That's all racism is. When they say racism, they're not talking about the racism that you think they're talking about, but they want you to feel that it's that racism. It's not. It's a made-up prejudice plus power, which is not a thing. It's not racism. Yeah. Michelle in the chat just asked, um, uh, I want to ask, 
what them what the word for what I consider racism is, and and that word is prejudice. And this this is a great thing to do if you discuss with them. Um, uh, it for the sake of conversation, say you accept their definition, and and say you're doing that. So so they say racism doesn't mean racism anymore. Racism now means prejudice plus power, and so therefore it's impossible to be racist towards white people. And they've redesigned this definition with that purpose in mind. If you extrapolate out and you think what might be some possible negative repercussions of teaching an entire generation of people that it's impossible to be racist towards one specific race, like could anything go wrong with that? Right. The race but, that um, happens to be in the majority at the moment. That's yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's just a weird thing that they, they accept that so blindly and that I used to accept that I used to preach this. I was on message boards. Let me explain to you about prejudice plus power about like sexism and racism. But, um, but let's say for the sake of argument that you accept their definition. Okay. It's just semantics. Then they, they don't, they don't want you to call uh, what you call racism, which is, which is racism. They don't want you to call it racism anymore. They want you to call it simple prejudice, just prejudice, right? Okay. So, well, does that make simple prejudice okay? D according to your definition, you're saying that uh, that I that that no, that a black person doesn't have the power to inflict their prejudice, right? No matter who that black person is, really, they don't have the power to inflict it. Okay, but let's assume that you're right <laughs> that they don't have the power to inflict their prejudice. Um, is that okay for them to be? to do what they're doing, to be prejudiced, to do, at what point do we say it's not okay to be prejudiced? Like, I like asking them that question because they don't have a measurable angle. At what point do we say, hey guys, uh, according to SJWs, the scales have tipped enough that uh, now, now it's suddenly possible to be racist towards white people too. Let's call it off. No more racist words and stuff. No more prejudice stuff against white people. Call it off now. How do you, how do you put that genie back in the bottle? But they don't have a practical way to either measure it uh, they don't have any goals of like, what's an achievable end goal that you're looking for? They don't have any of them. Uh, how do you put it back in the bottle? They don't know. And so those are, I, I find sometimes like asking them questions is really useful. And, and it especially, well, for them, they may get angry. Sometimes it will cause them to think. Most of the time it's not, it's going to cause them to get angry, but it might cause people who are observing the conversation to think a little bit about it. So, so yeah, I mean, racism traditionally was like you're saying, just prejudice based on race. That's what racism is, right? Sexism was prejudice based on gender. So really they've redefined racism to be racism is racism plus power, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. you can think of it that way. Racism is racism plus power. And no? same thing with sexism. <laughs> yeah. Racism is just racism. You don't, and the reason for that is exactly what you're saying. If you add another requirement in order to be called racist, then it ex the only outcome of that is it excuses racism. It excuses, it excuses what of racism. Right, right. It excuses what we commonly know as racism and what they that's why they but see they want to change. Ask them why. Why do you think it why do you think it's important for this ideology to change the definition to where it's it suddenly so-called impossible to be sexist towards men or to be racist towards white people? Why? So and and also um the even if you accept their definition, let's take sexism, for example, say they say the same thing. Sexism is now prejudice plus power, right? So they would say that I, as a woman, I don't have the power to be sexist towards men. I can only be prejudiced towards men. Um, power's not static. They define power as simply what group you're in. Well, that's BS. 
we are all look at their own look at their own ideology. They talk about intersectionality. If you take intersectionality, which is all the different boxes you're in, if you take that to its ultimate conclusion, you arrive at the individual again. Yes, we all have individual lives and experiences, and we're all unique individuals who, um, with certain privileges and certain uh, um, marginalizations, and they're not all the same, and they're not all the same degree. And so, like I have, I as a woman, I own my own business. I did have the power to inflict any sexual prejudice I had on men, and sometimes I did. I rarely. I rarely hired men. I'd probably in my subconscious had something to do with my SJWism. I wanted to work with women mostly, you know, like that's me exerting my power <laughs> over who's who right. I'm working with. But as you're pointing out, they don't mean power on an individual level. They mean uh, everything is defined in terms of groups. So they don't mean racism is prejudice plus individual power in that situation. They mean Racism is prejudice. Racism is racism plus which power class you're in. If you're in, if you're in a, if you're in a ethnicity that is considered to have more, basically if you're white, then, then you can be racist, but that's it. But it's not about individual power at all. That's a really, no, but, but they do, they do, uh, they say it's not about individual power, but they judge individual uh, actions with their stupid collectivist definition. So the act of me not hiring you because you're a man, they that's an individual act, but they will say that's not sexist. They will argue till they're blue in the face that it's not sexist, that it's just that's me. Point. They're not judging you right. as an individual. They're, they're judging your group as an individual and your group is allowed to do but that. But that's insane. I know. It's just, yeah, yeah we're, we're saying the same thing. <laughs> it is insane. It is insane. Like this entire philosophy. <laughs> it is insane. Uh, yep. Yeah, they think homeless white male is still privileged. That's right, Maria. They do. Um, and uh, you know, Knit fragility. A white male is is more privileged than Kanye West in their in their book. Yeah, right? um, which is so demeaning to Kanye West and his power as an individual. You know, like what are you talking about? He doesn't have any power. Um, Knit fragility says in the chat that they. It, it wasn't until our video on prejudice plus power that she or he, not sure, uh, realized that their definition had been hijacked 20 years ago by a college TA. Yeah. Hey, they hijacked mine over 20 years ago too. Same thing. I learned the prejudice plus power definition um, over 20 years ago. I was in college. I first learned it at, I was in Amnesty International. Um, I was a chapter leader for my state for a while. I went to this conference and we did a um it, here's how they get people there's a study that shows if you've been to any just one all it takes is one of these sjw workshops any number of titles for them the one i went to was called dismantling racism you go to one of these and the chance that you buy into this ideology skyrockets if you haven't been inoculated against it and so i went to one of these i was a bright-eyed uh, open-minded you know positive want to do the right thing I was, I was, you know, very susceptible to this. I was what's what, what they call a PC liberal. Right. And so um, I learned the definition at this Amnesty International dismantling racism training. And then it was reinforced in my college studies that year as well. I learned it in women's studies. I learned it in um, critical race theory classes. So um, they were indoctrinating us over two decades ago. And, th and then people, my age group have gone out and indoctrinated the millennials 
And then, and then the, we took the indoctrination online. It was my group of people that took it to websites like Chick Click and Ms. Magazine boards and all that stuff and started infiltrating mainstream sites and bringing it into the comment sections of, of articles and started writing for, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, homegrown third wave feminist blogs, like Feministing and uh, Jezebel, like a lot of the people who founded those sites or like the Feministing site is a great example. They went on there. They work now for like the Guardian and the New York Times and stuff. It's like they took, literally took this third wave uh, feminism, which was part of SJW ideology, and they mainstreamed it on blogs. And then they, they themselves were mainstreamed into these positions of power uh, at, at media institutions and their brainwashing the masses now now it's now it is so common it's like i could never have imagined this in my wildest sjw dreams back when i was trying to preach it like <laughs> <laughs> well um you know one one of the things that makes it possible though carrie you talked about unless you're inoculated against it um you know we mentioned this the other day but uh this is the this is the importance this is why i i think that it was, I think, removing logic and critical thinking, which is not critical theory, removing logic and critical thinking skills, and um, from earlier education. I mean, you can you can learn logic in junior high school easily, right? Losing you uh, learning logic and rhetoric and critical thinking, um, and and even frankly, grammar, right? So I think someone mentioned the other day that. Uh, the trivium should be taught. And I, I totally agree. It's it's the rhetoric, logic, and grammar, right? So, but the reason they removed them is because if you go in with a clear understanding of the importance of definitions and you've you um, learn to think critically and you learn to use logic and you learn the power of reason, it's uh, I think that's what inoculates you, which is why they need to knock it out in in younger kids. So when they go to college, these professors, and again, you said they, you know, they, they start with these blogs and they move out to the New York Times or wherever it is, but they, they're painted with this patina of legitimacy because this nonsense is in higher education and it's in academia and the nonsense is there without, you know, go read Peggy McIntosh's knapsack article. There's no science there. It's just her feelings about stuff. She just felt some crap and wrote it down. <laughs> I think blah, 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 blah. that's the foundation. That's a foundational work for an entire theory that people use. It's, it's, it's the, it's not like she's not Isaac Newton. Of Carter, it's social justice. experience. Okay. <laughs> what? I said, it's her lived experience. Okay. Except it's not even her lived experience. It's her observations about the no, lived, experience. lived experience. Right. <laughs> it's her guilt. Right. But, but that's the thing there, there's no, um, there's nothing actually rigorous about any of these things. And when you see that, um, and when you realize that all of this crap is, is even though it has a patina of legitimacy, because it, a lot, there's a lot of jargon and academic papers you can point to when you realize that the foundation of all of this is non-existent it's they it's uh this is all what's a good i don't know what's what's a good analogy it's like it, the modern day equivalent of somebody jotting out on a buzzfeed article like here's the 10 things you should know about <laughs> like it's like like that's how much thought and time went into that nap it is, it's article. exactly that 
Yeah. And and it's just it's it's like it's built on it's vaporware. Underneath it is just it's just a shadow of a whisper. It's it's there's nothing there. It's just it's fake. There's nothing there. It's it's just non-existent. But they've built all this stuff on and and they people can get degrees in it and they look and they can use jargon and they use words that maybe you haven't heard. They invent terms. And it sounds like there's some rigor and some, you know, there's some thought that's behind this. It's not thought. It's just emoting onto paper and making that a discipline to study in university and then rolling that out to society at large. Yeah. Boston Mama says it's smoke and mirrors and that's exactly what it is. And it's also actually Boston Mama earlier in the chat said that she has recently discovered that when you show them that you're not afraid of their magic words, that they really don't like it. And more often than not, I've found that to be true too. More often than not, they go away because their magic words only have power with people who buy into that claptrap. And so you're, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're LARPing Harry Potter, magic doesn't work. So stop (laughs) LARPing with them. They are not, there's nothing nothing there. By the way, Daniel Morrell, thank you. Uh, We got a super chat. A super so. chat. We should come up with something we do like on Pee Wee's Playhouse when somebody says the word of the day. We get a super chat. Like Carter has to do something. Ring bell or something. I don't know. I don't also, Daniel, you're no. supposed to be able to like ask specific questions or do something. But I, I think that's what it is, right? You should be able to ask a question. But we answer that's other what questions. super chat's supposed to be. I think like, look at my question. I'm I'm spending money, but he's just thanking us. So thanks. Um, oh, and Gracie, because Gracie led him here. Thank you, Gracie. Gracie is awesome in many ways um in fact gracie i think gracie you're doing kofefi with me on this monday right carrie is this is it this monday oh well yeah we can still do that i think it is i'm not sure technically taking my vacation still (laughs) yeah yeah we're giving carrie a couple days off but not too many days off because she's not allowed to leave we Uh, we love carrie so (laughs) even when she dresses like this I'm going to dress like this just so today's a casual day. We went over and I don't have anywhere to be. So I've just been like letting it go over, but we might need to wrap up soon. Cause what is it? You shouldn't talk more than two hours. Cause then your brain stops working. You say something that you don't mean. Yeah. I don't, where'd that come from? Is that a Peggy McIntosh thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use Peggy McIntosh for arbitrary now. Like you guys really, if you haven't looked up Peggy McIntosh, <laughs> she is, we did a whole episode on her that you should check out, but she's the elitist of the elite. Again, this stuff is manufactured by people who, in a lot of cases, yes, they are very, very privileged people. She's a rich white lady. <laughs> yeah, so privileged that they don't have any idea that their their lived experience is not the white lady experience, like the like, common white lady. Starting to sound like, it's unfair that all white people have house servants. Like, <laughs> we don't all have house servants <laughs> that was your problem lady. we all get to go to yale <laughs> right, yeah uh, i noticed my servants don't get foie <laughs> yes yes that's what it is <laughs> uh, yes and jason says robin d'angelo d'angelo is the most arrogant academic sjw i've seen yeah carter and i started reading out loud on one episode some parts of her book, right? Wasn't that her book we were reading? It was Robin D'Angelo's book. Oh yeah. gosh. And in her book, it was basically like, um, 
don't listen to anyone else. Just listen to me. Like that was like the first chapter. <laughs> it was. Was that her book? I think it I was. Think it- yeah, it was. It was her like. Uh, it was the teaching book. It was something about indoctrinating teachers. Yeah, it was basically don't, don't listen to other people, but listen to me. That I mean, that you could you could reduce her first chapter down to that. Yeah, I can't find it. I thought I had it sitting around, but yeah, it was basically like. Yeah, only listen to me. So, but yes, uh, don't LARP with these people. Don't use their magic words. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be yeah. a funny sketch video. So, I went to WeirdCon one year. WeirdCon is out in California, it's a LARPing convention, and they take over this hotel for the weekend and they have like all these different LARPs that happen in different you rooms. LARP SJWs with wands and everything. I was going to say, we should create an SJW LARP. And we should be casting magic spells. White fragility. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We could come up with the stories and, you know. Totally we should. Yeah, it was, it was, you could, you could, you could totally write that and get, and make a a funny, a funny satire. You could. All right. I feel like we're, we're winding down. We are winding down. Maybe your Peggy McIntosh two hour thing is correct. Um. It, it wasn't Peggy McIntosh. She said that, but okay. But I, it is in in my mind now. It's forever cemented to Peggy McIntosh. So uh, we're stuck with it. All right. Well, happy Halloween, Carrie. Are you going to go trick or treating or doing what? I'm uh, not trick or treating. Mm. I don't know. What do adults do for Halloween? Happy Halloween, Carter. Alien. <laughs> what do the adult humans do for Halloween? Well, my plans have changed, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to go to the gym. I got back into the gym yesterday. Now that we're just talking about whatever. Hey, anybody who's taken some time off in the gym, I encourage you to go back. Go back with me. It sucks going back the first day in a long time. That's why you shouldn't take time off because it's like starting from scratch all over. And uh, uh, I figure I'll I'll stay on that train today. Anyway. All right. Well, enjoy. enjoy. Oh, real quick. But that's yeah. fat oppression. Did you see how people got all mad because Adele lost a lot of weight? And she posted a picture of herself and said, I used to cry, now I sweat, which is an obvious reference to working out. Like now she works out, okay? Uh-huh. They got all offended and they wrote all these opinion pieces about how um, she's fat shaming other people and for people to compliment her weight loss is uh, is offensive and dangerous because you don't know there are lots of reasons for weight loss and maybe she lost weight for dangerous reasons. Like she said she's sweating now. I'm pretty sure she means she's working out, which is healthy, like, why can't you celebrate her achievements? That's, that's what they care about. They're worried that Adele is losing weight for the wrong reasons. That's that's their motivation. I'm sure of it, Carrie. That's what right. it is. Yeah. No, they <laughs> hate it. They hate it. And I they used to be, fat shaming is another one of their magic words, right? And in my online circles, I've mentioned this before, but I've seen them pile on fellow female SJWs if they if they start to lose weight. Like if the, I had a friend who... Um, she one year made a new year's resolution, which she didn't announce. She just did it herself and started working out and eating healthier. And like six months later, six months in, she finally, she shows some pictures and she's like, Hey guys, I want you to know, I made a resolution at the beginning of the year and I've been working really hard. And I'm, I've, I've been, I used to be so embarrassed to share a photo and I'm so proud of my progress. And it was like her in the gym, like strong arms. And immediately people were piling on like, I don't need you fat shaming me with your progress photos. It's very triggering. You need to put a trigger warning on your <laughs> gym photos. It's triggering. <laughs> this is totally what we're talking about, Carrie. We talked about this the other day in a different context. When you make a change in your life, there are people in your life 
who are wed to you not making that change because it demonstrates that they could make the change and they're threatened by it. So they're pissed off that she's gone to the gym and that shows, hey, actually, you could go to the gym. You could be healthy. Yeah. They have to believe that they can't be, that this is their way. They're fat forever and fat is beautiful. And when one of their fat friends becomes not fat, wow, that that's uh, that needs to be the heretics need to be burned at the stake more than anyone else. Yeah, they make they make being fat their identity the same way they make being mentally ill their identity. And that that's actually what's really dangerous because then that encourages you, if you think of that as who you are, then why do anything to change it? And they and that they really truly celebrate the, the ideology wants you to celebrate these things as part because hey, you get to check off a marginalized box, you get to check off the fat box, you get to check off the mentally ill box. And so why why give that up? That's social currency. And then, but, but you're right, when somebody does, then they feel uh, personally insulted. And, you know, how dare you improve yourself? Right. <laughs> right? right. And I, my guess is usually the people that get are most pissed off are people who feel bad about their own non-exercise, right? Um, a fellow gym person's not going to be like, how dare you fat shame? I go to the gym, but I keep it quiet. Like that's not what happens. It's, it's people who don't. So look, okay. So in the chat real quick, uh, yep. endless three Cho says I'm fat and I hate it. I love seeing other people happier when they get healthier. Well, yeah, it's an encouraging thing to see people that, especially people, you know, and you have personal connection to, you see them improving themselves. It hopefully it should make you feel more encouraged to do. It makes me feel encouraged. It makes me feel like, you know what? that excuse I had or whatever, I should probably just like stuff it and go back. <laughs> like it's going to suck. <laughs> the first and, and time. Like many of us struggle with weight. Like I've had, I've had times in my life where, I mean, I've been, I'm still a little bit chubbier than I'd like to be, but like I've had times when I've been, you know, pretty heavy and I didn't feel good about myself. Um, it's not a, it's not an indictment of me to say, I would be happier, healthier. I would be happier. I am happier, healthier. That's that's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, but um, okay. And again, we're rambling. I know we're about to go, but right. people in the chat are so interesting. Elizabeth said she had a friend who put up pictures of tall boats in the Boston Harbor, and um, she got ripped to shreds because she had gotten into sailing, and they slammed her for being insensitive, saying that she was posting pictures of slave ships. Wait, what? Just like anything you do that brings you joy is, oh, they're going to, they're probably going to jump on you for it. You know what I mean? It's like, so. I, I don't understand. I don't. I, just they had sales? Yeah, because she got into sailing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you said it best, Carrie. I think you said earlier, like, you, you know, they hate fun. They can have fun. There's no fun involved. No being happy. They hate happiness. And oh, part and of, part of nihilism is is hating your life. So, yeah, and they want to keep you um, to go back to the fitness part again, and because I know someone in the chat said they are fat and they hate it. They want they want to keep you fat. Like this ideology wants to keep you that way and keep you unhappy. This is a great ideology for unhappy people. So they also try to instill they 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 try to make you feel bad for any progress you make if you share that. Um, get rid of those friends. We've talked again, we've talked about this. Anybody that makes you feel bad for improving yourself, they don't have your best interests at heart. And, and sometimes it, it could be a really someone you think is a very close friend, or it could be family members. If you start trying to eat healthier and, or if you start trying to work out and there are people around you who become snide about it, or I remember this woman I used to work with is like, 
that everybody was having donuts at work. And she said to me something like, Oh, Carrie's being good. And it's like that woman did not have my best interests at heart. You know, right. she, she had to remark on it in this snotty way. Like, what does it matter to her if I'm eating the donuts or not? I wasn't making her feel bad. It's like, but, well, but she was feeling bad. Yes. She was feeling bad and had to say something like that. And so those people don't, they're not, they don't, they don't want you to get better because they, because you do, for whatever reason, they have the kind of mind where your improvement makes them feel bad about themselves instead of, instead of make, encouraging them for whatever reason, these people can't, they can't stand to see other people. It's like very resentment. People who are, are, are dwelling in resentment. And, and again, SJW ideology is a lot about, about resentment. So anyway, they try and make you feel bad for improvement. And I've noticed they try and make you feel scared of the gym. They share stuff. They used to share stuff in my circles all the time about like uh, gym rats. And like, they try and like make people that go to the gym seem like really uh, uh, creepy or like uh, other, they other than articles about like late, lately about gym, like the, the ties, the correlations between being alt-right and, and like in the gym a lot or something. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. I've, I've seen those. I've Is seen that those the new thing? Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous. They don't be afraid. Go. They're only people, people on the right are healthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Go to, if you're afraid of gym. No, I swear you're going to meet nice people there who there's jerks there like there are everywhere, but you will meet nice people. So anyway, that's my little gym pitch. I'm, I'm talking to myself because I'm, I'm going to log off and be like, oh, I don't want to go. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> well, you know, what? I can't I can't leave, though, without giving low res boy credit for this because I really like this uh, response. He asked if they're going to start hating the ocean as well, because without the ocean. There's no slave trade by boat. There couldn't have been a slave trade without the ocean. So pictures of oceans are now racist. Um, I like that idea. All right. It's probably time to leave. Yeah. Thank you guys uh -huh. for joining us. And um, if you want to join book club again, it's going to be Sunday, November 17th. So you still have time to read the coddling of the American mind and, or listen to it on audiobook. And you can go to unsafespace.com and go to the book page Book club page to get a link to buy it. Um, if you buy it through our link, we get a penny or something like a penny. And um, and then just let Carter know, let us know at with an email at speak at unsafespace.com if you want to be a part of the video discussion. Yes. And um, just to clarify, because I know there's a lot of new people and someone thought like oh, they were confused that we usually live stream on Friday. So we have this weekly show deprogrammed that we were doing well before Kofefi. And we would normally do it live, not always, but usually we would do it live. Um, and that's what, and, and that's where we focus on social justice, right? Carrie's former ideology. Then we started doing daily Kofefi. Uh, and then we kind of decided to make Friday Kofefi's live. So we actually do live Thursday and Friday. I don't know how long that will last or whether it will change things. And maybe that's some, we should get some feedback from you guys about, but that's what's going on. You're watching Deprogrammed right now. We're kind of focused on social justice. But tomorrow we will do live Kofefi. And Fridays on Kofefi, it's just uh, leftover news from the week that we didn't cover and more chatting with you guys. So um, that's what's going on. May not last forever because maybe two live shows back to back is not a great idea. But there we go. Thanks for watching. Please don't forget to like, uh, share, subscribe. Um, we're almost at 2,000 subscribers on youtube so um yeah if you can help us get there by uh i don't know you probably all subscribed but if you're share it share carter, it. carter, carter. happy yeah. halloween tiger 
Tiger's costume, he's going to go as a Barxist. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. okay, bye. This is what I deal with. Bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Thanks again.